For our lesson this evening, we'll be using a little worksheet. Matt and Sam are passing these out for us. Appreciate the good songs that we were able to participate in so far this evening. On and on we walk together. I like the way that song goes, but the meaning of that song is, is incredible as well. The fact that we can walk with, with God is due to the fact that Jesus came and died for us. We can't walk with God unless first Jesus took our place on the cross and secondly that He shed His blood for our sins. And because of that and because of our faith in Him, then we can walk with Him. On and on we walk together. And I like the Hilltops of Glory song as well. Especially this evening as we discuss these fundamental matters, the part of that song that says, Oh brother, won't you come and go with me? The bad news is that we're not in heaven yet. The good news is that every day we're inching closer and closer to that glorious destination. It is the great unknown, but it's also the hilltops of glory. Oh brother, won't you come and go with me? You can choose them with this worksheet this evening to just kind of let your eyes move along with it as we discuss these matters, or you can take a pen or a pencil and write down some scriptures with each little heading. When you think of um, the idea of a threshold, threshold, you think of a doorway, you think maybe of a piece of wood or strip of metal at the bottom of the doorway, we sometimes call that the threshold. It's, it's the entryway. It's also proper to think of, of the threshold of knowledge, entry level knowledge. And that's really where we're heading this evening, entry level knowledge. In other words, what are some basic convictions a person must embrace in order to qualify himself to become a Christian? What are some basic convictions a person must have, must embrace, in order to get ready, to be ready to become a Christian, to be baptized into Christ? This is designed to help us to review, to remind us. If we're parents, this is very handy. Very handy. In other words, what, if we're grandparents, it's very handy because 
What am I supposed to be talking to my children about all along the way? Well, some of these matters right here. Some of these matters right here, as we have opportunity. This is meant to be helpful to any youth teacher and, of course, any soul winner. So sort of some entry level, some basic convictions uh, that we must have. Before we get to this, we need to simply distinguish between, between the time that um, we're not converted to Christ and the time after we're converted to Christ. The knowledge that we need, the pre-conversion knowledge that a person needs that leads them to Christ and then distinguish between that and the knowledge that you will later grow into. Okay. The pre-conversion knowledge naturally will be more basic and compact and then the knowledge that we grow into after that we're converted and as we're living the Christian life then that will grow deeper and deeper and the more you know the more you don't know. In Jesus' Great Commission as recorded in Matthew 28, 19 and 20, this ideal is, is illustrated. In Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, or more literally there, make disciples of all nations. And then he says, Baptizing them into the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And then verse 20 of Matthew 28 teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. So the formula is to teach, baptize, and then teach. And this sheet will help us on the verse 19 side of that. That is the original teaching that must be done. Okay. So when Jesus says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them, he means more there than simply teach them about baptism. He means a lot more there than simply mentioning baptism to them. Rather, there is a body of information that one needs to grasp okay, before he is ready or she is ready to be baptized. Okay. This also is illustrated in Acts chapter 2 on the day of Pentecost. Peter preaches a sermon, a, a whole body of information about Jesus. Acts 2, 22 to 36. Okay, he teaches. And then the people ask, well, what shall we do about our sins? So he tells them about that, and many are baptized. And then in Acts 2, 42, we see them, we, we read, and they continued. They continued. They continued steadfastly in apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking of bread and the prayers. You see, that's what they're doing. You teach, you baptize, and then you teach. The original knowledge that you have as you are becoming a Christian, getting ready to become a Christian, is going to be more basic. And then later we'll grow into more knowledge. Think about this for a second, and then we'll get to our sheet. In Paul's letter to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians, he addressed them as Christians, as saints in Christ, and they were Christians. But they had a lot more to learn about the Lord's Supper and worship and, and giving of their means, giving of, of their money. In other words, they had a lot more growing to do. They were Christians, absolutely. They were saints in Christ. But 
they had a lot of, of growing to do as far as coming out of the world and being more dedicated to Christ, learning better how to worship him and so forth. Okay. And so again, what are some basic convictions that we must have to get ready to become a Christian? Well, here are some. First of all, there is the conviction about Jesus being the Son of God. The conviction about Jesus being the Son of God. When you think about Jesus and his work being prophesied from Old Testament into the New Testament, this declares him to be the Son of God. For example, John 1.45. John 1.45. Philip said, We have found him of whom Moses and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. We found him. The one we've been looking for, the one that Moses wrote about, the one the prophets wrote about. When you look at Luke 24, 44, Jesus said there, he said, I want you to go tell people that it is me, the one that was written about in the Psalms and in the law of Moses and in the prophets. He said, I want you to go tell people that, that I am he. I am the one. And so the prophecies declare Jesus to be the son of God. And so does his virgin birth. Luke 1 and 35, Mary asked the angel, how can this thing be? And the angel explained uh, to her that the power of the Holy Spirit will, will overshadow you. And he that will be conceived in you will be called holy, the son of God. Right there, Luke 1, 35. And not only does the virgin birth of Jesus declare him to be the son of God, but so do his miracles. John 20, 30 and 31, many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written, not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. Okay. So the miracles can lead someone to believe that Jesus is the one. And then by believing in him and obeying him, you can have that life. You can have that, that newness of life uh, by obeying him. So the miracles declare him to be the son of God. And of course, so does his resurrection. This is plainly declared in, Revel in, in Romans 1. Romans 1. Uh, verse 4, verse 3 and 4 of Romans 1. It says there, Paul says that Jesus has been declared to be the Son of God according to the spirit of holiness and according to the power of God by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Okay. So notice that carefully, and, and when you get a chance, mark that in your Bible, Romans 1, verse 4, Jesus is declared to be the Son of God in power by the resurrection that he experienced on the first uh, day of the week. And then Jesus himself, in his own words, declared himself to be the Son of God because he backed up Peter. You know, Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God, Matthew 16, 16. Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father in heaven. Okay, in other words, Peter, you are right on target this time. My Father in heaven has revealed this to you, and I am the one. I am the Son of God. And so what does a parent, what does a grandparent do with this? Okay. Well, as much as you have opportunity, you want to, you want to talk 
you can, you can talk to your children, your grandchildren, about some of the miracles of Jesus, about the birth of Jesus, in particular the resurrection of Jesus. Talk to them. That will build their faith in the fact that Jesus is the Son of God. Okay? All right. Number two here, second part of a basic conviction is that we are convicted that God speaks through His New Testament today. That God speaks through the New Testament today. We read in Hebrews 1, 1 and 2 that in the times past God had spoken to people in a variety of ways through dreams and visions even directly from here to there. But today He speaks in these last days He speaks through His Son. Through His Son. Hebrews 1, uh, 1 and 2. And the Son made it His business to take His Word, take the Father's Word, and give it to the Apostles. Okay. And the reference there is John 17, verse 8. As Jesus is praying this great, beautiful prayer in John 17, verse 8, He says to His Father, He says, Father, I have taken Your words that You have given Me, and I have given them to the Apostles. And now they believe. Jesus gave his words to the apostles all the way, all the, way to the point that in, in Luke 10, 16, Jesus told the apostles, he said, he that hears you, hears me. And he that rejects you, rejects me. Luke 10 and verse 16. So Jesus was very good at giving what the Father had said to him over to the apostles. That's why you read there in Acts 2.42, they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and, and the prayers, you see. And then from there, the apostles and others who had come under the influence of the apostles would eventually write down the words of the Father, the words of Jesus, in the book that we now have known as our New Testament, you see. Going back to John 20, 30, and 31, notice what John says. He says, these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ. You see, faith comes by hearing, hearing through the word of Christ. And these have been written down, written down. John especially emphasizes this quite often. In 1 John 2, 1 and 2, John says, my little children, I write these things unto you. That if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteousness. The righteous. Jesus Christ the righteous. And he is the propitiation for our sins, but not, not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. Okay. John says, I write these things so that you can know that. He also says in 1 John 5, 13, he says, he says brethren, I write these things unto you, that you may know that you have eternal life. All, all those of you who believe in the name of Jesus, in other words, you submitted to His authority, then you can know that you have eternal life. He says, that's why I'm writing these things down. So we see here that God speaks to men today through the New Testament. This is just one of those basic convictions that we, we have to embrace, we need to embrace as we are beginning to to realize our need to follow uh, Jesus. In Colossians 2, 
uh, 14, of course, says that the old law, the law of Moses, was nailed uh, to the cross. Matthew 5, 17 says that Jesus fulfilled that old law. And Galatians 3, 19 to 23 says that uh, the old law was designed to train someone, to train the world, to train the Jewish people, to train the world, to train us that we have a tremendous need uh, for Jesus. So God speaks today through his New Testament. I love the New Testament, and I don't mind that I have said this before, because I love it. I love it. It's, it, is a, it is a document that has been put together in a very organized fashion. Okay. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John will build your faith in Christ. If you read those books with an open mind, you will walk away with a tremendous faith in Christ. The book of Acts then right after that is designed to show how to receive forgiveness of sins and begin our relationship with Jesus. The books of Romans through uh, Jude, they are designed to build our faith. Okay, remember, teach, baptize, teach. Well, the book of Romans all the way through Jude, if we really dig into there, we will learn how to live the Christian. What does God expect of me? And the book of Revelation is designed to give us hope beyond this life. When you go right there to Matthew 28, 18, Jesus says, all authority has been given unto me. Okay. That corresponds to Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. When you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see Jesus has all authority. Okay. And then when you look at verse 19 of Matthew 28, where... Jesus says, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them. That corresponds to the book of Acts. Absolutely it does. And then when you read Matthew 28, verse 20, and where Jesus said, Teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, that corresponds to Romans through the book of Jude. Because that's what we're doing. When we read Romans through the book of Jude, we are learning about all the things that Jesus would have us to learn about. And then... At the end of verse 20 there in Matthew 28, Jesus says, And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the world. Then that's what the book of Revelation is designed to do. It's designed to show us again and again that the Lord is still on his throne. He is still watching over us. He is still with us. All right. So those two facts. Now, of course, we're using our common sense here. Okay. Of course we are. What we've just gone over here with number two, that doesn't mean we set our children down and say, hey, you've got to learn all this, and I mean, you're going to have a test on this later. Okay. No, but these are just simple examples of the type of things that we'll discuss with our children as they get older and older, and even with someone you're trying to influence. These are the types of things that you will uh, discuss, and you use your own sense of judgment to know what to intersperse and what exactly needs to be talked about from time to time. But the third thing we need to be convinced of, number three here, is the reality of sin. Reality of sin. And this, um, this is hugely fundamental, as you know. This is very, very basic. But these things about sin, what is sin? 1 John 3, 4 says sin is a transgression of the law. But not only that, James 4, 17 says, to him who knows to do good and does it not, to him it is sin. 
And so when we do something that God says don't do, that's sin. When we leave off doing something God says that we ought to be doing, then that is sin. Anything that Jesus has said that we ought to be or not to be, and we transgress that, then that puts us in sin. Remember the Lord says in John 8, 24, except you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Except you believe that I am He, John 8, 24, you shall die in your sins. So that's what sin is. And who is it that is guilty of sin? Then all of us. Romans 3, 9 and 10, there are none righteous, no, not one. So all of us are guilty of sin. And how does sin get in our lives in the first place? Well, 1 John 2, 15 to 17 says that the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is what invites sin into our lives. Most of the time it's one of those three avenues or a combination uh, thereof. That's how it gets in. And then what does it do to us? Well, Isaiah 59, 1 and 2 says that sin separates us from God. It puts us in darkness. We are away from God. That song we were just singing, once I stood in the night all alone, all alone. That's what sin does to us. It puts us in that lonely state and there is no worse condition than to be in sin and not know how uh, to come out of it. So that's what it does. It separates us uh, from God. And then what should our response be to it? All right. Romans 6 answers this. Romans 6, 9 through 11. Romans 6, 9 through 11. This little verse in Romans 6, 9 through 11 just excites me. I know you can tell by looking at my face how excited I am. But it really does excite me. I may not be able to express it physically, but I'm jumping on the inside. Okay. Romans 6, 9 through 11. Because it's a carryover from our great studies on the resurrection of Jesus. Okay. And Paul, it, Paul, I'll just kind of summarize it. But Paul says, look, we know that Jesus being resurrected from the dead, he dies no more. Death has no more dominion over him. Great. Then Paul says this in verse 11. He says, therefore reckon ye yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin and alive unto God. You see, that's the lesson we're to take from the resurrection. One of the many lessons from the resurrection of Christ. But death has no more dominion over Christ. Therefore, we are, we are, to, be, we are to die to sin. You see, death is not to have dominion over us. Sin is not to have dominion over us. And we're not going to be perfect, but... Christ is calling upon us to not let sin reign. Notice Romans 6, verse 12. Let not sin therefore reign, R-E-I-G-N, reign in your mortal body. Okay. That's the lesson we get from the resurrection. That's our, our response to it is we want to die to it. Okay. We want Christ to be our ruler and not Satan any longer. Okay. Well, that's number uh, three. And so what do we do with that? As we can, as our children get older, as we are uh, talking to someone, you intersperse uh, conversations about sin. And you don't use all of these verses, of course, but you use one or two and use your own judgment as to how to get this 
across. And then number four, the need for obedience. The need for obedience. The need to know something about obedience. It's always good. Children are so good at memorizing. One good one is Hebrews 5, verse 8 and 9. Just, just verse 9. Jesus is the author of eternal salvation to all those who obey him. Your little one can memorize that. Jesus is the author of eternal salvation unto all those who obey him. And then you just follow verses like that up with examples. Who, what are some of the best examples of obedience found in the Bible? What would you say is the best example of obedience found in the Bible? You would say Jesus, that's right. Philippians 2, 5 through 11, absolutely. Jesus became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Absolutely, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You can also talk about Abraham and how, how he strictly and humbly obeyed God as, as God said, I want you to take your only son Isaac to, to this mountain over here at Moriah, to get up early in the morning, and Abraham did exactly as he said to do. When it comes to obedience, there are just a few things that God would want us to pay attention to here. He wants us to pay attention to what God says do, how God says to do it, for the purpose of God saying to do it, and he wants us to do all that God says to do. Those are the fundamental ideas about obeying God. You do what God says to do. You do all of what God says to do. You do it for the purpose that God said to do it. And you do it in the manner in which God uh, said to do it. Okay. Let's think of a couple uh, illustrations. Let's just think about the four bases of baptism. Okay. That's just real, real good. I, I look at it as four bases. First base, second base, third base, and home plate. First base in baptism is um, what, what element is to be used. What element is to be used? You use water in baptism. That's first base. Second base in baptism is the action of baptism. What action is to be used? Is, is it to be sprinkling, pouring, or immersion? Well, it's to be immersion. Okay, that's second base. Okay, third base is uh, who's qualified to be baptized. Okay, what about the person that's going to be baptized? Well, they must be a believer who's willing to repent. That's third base. And the fourth base is you do it for the purpose, for the remission of sins, for the forgiveness of your sins. You're not baptized because you're already saved. You're being baptized in order to become a, a saved person. Okay. So that sort of illustrates the idea of obeying God, obeying what he says to do in the manner that he says to do it for the purpose for which uh, he said to do it. In Matthew 6, Jesus was talking to some of the Jewish leaders and he says, you be careful about how you pray. Many of you are praying in order to be seen of men. They would stand up on the corner of the streets or they'd stand up in the synagogue and they would pray to be heard of men. Now, were they doing the right thing? They should be praying, but they weren't doing it in the manner in which God would have them uh, to do. And that's the idea of obedience. Also, when it comes to obedience, never forget how the Bible proclaims that Jesus is Lord. We studied this, Rome, uh, this passage of Romans 10, 9 and 10 in our auditorium class this past Wednesday, how that if you're going to receive salvation, you've got to confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you've got to believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead. 
Jesus is Lord. Well, if we believe that Jesus is Lord, we're going to want to submit to him because that makes us a servant of God. All right. So the need for obedience. And then another basic idea leading up to being baptized is to become a disciple. A disciple. A simple but strong follower of the Lord. It's interesting that the literal translation there of Matthew 28, 19 is go into all the nations and make disciples. Make disciples. So you would think we would need to know something about disciples, right? Because we need to make disciples. This will help us, this will help a person to make that good decision of being baptized into God, into the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Just knowing a few things about being a disciple. Well, think about this. In John 8, 31, Jesus says, If you continue in my word, then you are my disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. So learning the word of God makes us a disciple. But also, in John 13, 34 and 35, Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you are my disciples, if you have love one for another. This is how we learn to become a disciple. We we follow his word, and then we also uh, learn to love other people. But then part of being a disciple also is to have that strong commitment. Strong commitment. And let me illustrate it for you here. Matthew 10, around verse 24 And you will not mind me turning over here because you're going to like this. Matthew 10, 24, Jesus says, A disciple is not above his teacher, and neither is a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and for the servant to be like his master. Now watch this. Matthew 10, 25, he says, If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, and that's what they did with Jesus. They called him the prince of demons. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, then how much more will they criticize and malign those of the household? That would be us. So if you're going to be a disciple of the Lord, you better be ready. You better be ready to be commit, committed to God. This is, this is not... Um, This is the most wonderful choice in the world, but it's not the easiest path in the world. Another one about disciplehood here is Luke 14. And I want to mention these because uh, it may be that you have not marked this in your Bible. You probably have. But uh, Luke 14, 26, 27, 33. Okay. Just want you to uh, quickly glance at this uh, with me. Luke 14. Jesus, again, talking about following him as a disciple. Notice the word not here. Luke 14, 26, he says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father, mother, wife, and children, and brothers, and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. See the commitment that he's calling on? And then verse uh, 27 Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. See that? 
Cannot, cannot. Verse 27, Luke 14. And then look at verse uh, 33. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. So this is preliminary knowledge, basic knowledge, that is to lead us to want to follow Christ. It's to help us in that great decision of following Him. Okay. And again, it's not that we would necessarily set our 9 or 10 year old down and, and just strictly test them on all this, but as we have an opportunity, what are some things I'm supposed to be talking to my grandchildren about? These are the kind of matters we're supposed to be talking to our grandchildren about. That's, that's the idea behind this emphasis. And then the final section here is to emphasize, to have a conviction about what God can do with each person. What can God do with each person? God wants to forgive every person. If we will follow Him, He wants to forgive every person. He wants to wash away our sins. He wants to blot our sins out. He wants to cleanse us from our sins. You can find the verses on all that. But He wants to forgive us. He wants us to be part of the family. He wants us to be part of His family. He wants us to be sons and daughters of His. He wants us to be focused he wants us to give, He wants us to take His purpose and live it out in our life. We know that the purpose of Jesus, Luke 19.10, is to seek and save the lost. He wants us focused on that. It's what God can do with us. He can forgive us. He can make us part of His family. He can focus us and keep us pointed in the right direction. He can fortify our faith and He can give us a future that only belongs to the people of God. He can give us a hope and a future. Well, you could add to this little simple list. I know you could. Okay. But I know also all of us want to become better soul winners. We want to be become better parents and grandparents, teachers as we have the opportunity. We think, okay, what's the difference we can't just come to a person and just scatter a bunch of knowledge of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation to them and expect them to walk away and want to become a Christian. There's a threshold of knowledge that's needed in the first place. And then there's a knowledge that you grow into later on. I hope this uh, can be uh, helpful. And as we bring our services to a close, we want to always extend the Lord's Invitation. It might be that someone here has been, been meditating on several of these ideas. Do you have a conviction that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God? Do you believe that this is His Word? Do you believe that sin separates us from God and the only answer is to, to come humbly to Him so that we can be washed through the blood of Jesus Do you believe in the reality of sin? Do you believe in the love of God? Do you believe that God wants the very best for you? Is there any need that you'd like to share this, this very evening? Will you respond? Will you come right now as we stand together? As we stand